to, where are we at? Where did we leave off? Verse 18, Lord, we um, are so grateful, Jesus, that you are our shepherd and that it is your goodness and mercy that are following us each day. Lord, even when we don't recognize it or even acknowledge it, you continue to give us mercy, fresh mercies new every morning. You're good to us in so many different ways, and Lord, forgive us. We just want to say thank you this morning. You've been so good, so merciful, so kind. And now as you've gathered us, Lord, as, as a family, as your church, um, thank you for how you shepherd us, for how you nourish us. We are in need of your nourishing us this morning, a fresh work of your spirit through your word, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So we've come to the kind of the middle of these seven letters or seven report cards that Jesus is giving to um, seven literal churches that existed in John's day. But we recognize um, these letters are applicable throughout church history, even this morning in our lives, individually, and in our church, collectively or congregationally as well, we need to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. And uh, for some of us, this may be a challenging word this morning. Um, in fact, I know it will be. And, uh, but we need all of God's Word, don't we? Every bit of it. Well, let's see what God says, the Lord Jesus says to His church this morning, to us this morning. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says 
to the churches. And so again, we've come to the, the fourth church, the kind of the middle church of the seven, and it is the longest letter. It is the longest report card that Jesus gives to any one of these churches. Let me draw your attention to verse 18 for a moment, and it says, to the angel of the church, and remember, angel is also messenger. So I believe this letter is, was given to the one who was called to faithfully communicate God's message to the church, whether that was the pastor or a leader, um, they are faithfully called to communicate God's message to God's people. And so notice where the church is in Thyatira. Thyatira was a, one of the smaller cities. It wasn't very renowned like some of the ones we've read about already, such as Pergamos or Ephesus or Laodicea, we'll get to later. It was 40 miles, though. If you have a Bible map in the back of your Bible, you can check it out later. It's, it's approximately 40 miles southeast of Pergamos, and it's located in this like really... Um, um, beautiful area, agriculturally. Um, it was an agricultural area, um, and it was in uh, in this area where there was lots of trade guilds. You guys, a trade guild speaks of like a union. So if you have like uh, silversmiths, you have people that do woodworking. Each one of those guilds would that the workers would gather together and form a union. And so they would, uh, they would work together, they would be involved together, um, and it would also involve the worship of a, of a pagan like mascot or a, a false god that was uh, a deity, a patron deity for that group. They kind of like mascots, you know what I'm talking about? Like that was the mascot for the team. They would have, a, like you would have Zeus, if you were the silversmiths, maybe it was Zeus, um, all, their, their almighty false god, or Bacchus, the god of wine. Um, and then they would have these parties to these gods. When you would go to your union meeting or your business meeting, they would have these big celebrations to these false gods. They would get drunk and uh, sexual immorality was involved also. And you can kind of see that as we're working through this letter, um, you get kind of a feel of what was going on in this area, in this town. And obviously that would present a problem for Christians, wouldn't it? You're a Christian silversmith. You're a Christian woodworker. You're a Christian bronze worker or brass worker. And so if you weren't part of that guild, guess what? Or part of that union, you would not get work. You would be kind of discounted. You'd be kind of kicked to the curb. And if you did be, get involved with those guilds, um, a lot of times the Christians would do what? They would compromise and get involved with what was going on in these guilds. And so, by the way, Thyatira is mentioned elsewhere in the scriptures also. Remember when the Apostle Paul was in a city called Philippi, sharing the gospel there, there was a lady named, you guys remember her name? Lydia, thank you. Lydia was there. She was a worker with what? What? A purple. That's right. A purple dyes, purple fabrics, purple textiles. And um, remember, purple at that time was a very coveted color for royalty, for rich people, especially the Romans. They loved that, that shade of purple that they would wear their outfits and stuff like that. So Lydia, some believe that Lydia got saved and went back to Thyatira and ministered to the people there. We don't know that for sure. But in any event, this was a blue-collar city, lots of working people, lots of textiles, manufacturing, and these union guilds. And notice who is speaking here. 
It's Jesus. He says, these things says the Son of God. And that's the only time Son of God is used in the book of Revelation. I think it's used 45 times in the rest of the New Testament, but it's only used once in the book of Revelation. And it refers to the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And in each of these letters, you guys know this, Jesus lets us know um, it's him that's communicating along with a self-description, something about himself from chapter one. Remember in chapter one, John saw Jesus in all of his glory, all of his majesty, all of his beauty. And Jesus takes some of those uh, characteristics and applies them. And it's not an accident why he applies it to these churches. Each one is totally fitting. These things, are the, these things that Jesus says here are things that the church needed to be reminded of or they had forgotten about or they lost sight of. And what does Jesus say? He says the Son of God who what? What does it say? Who has eyes like a flame of fire. And by the way, when Jesus says, why did Jesus use Son of God? Why is he reminding them of his deity? Why is he reminding them that he is God, that he is Lord of all? I think it's important because I think they lost a sense of the awe and reverence of Jesus Christ. And that, man, we need to keep Jesus as the absolute authority, the supreme authority in our lives. And then he says he has eyes like a flame of fire. What is that speaking of? What does that even mean? You ever been around someone that it seems they look just right through you? Their eyes are piercing. They, it's, it, it, it almost seems as if they look right into your soul and know what's going on. That's the idea. Jesus sees through everything. All the facade, all the nonsense, all the walls we put up, all the phoniness or whatever. He sees through all of it with eyes like a flame of fire. He sees right into our hearts, right into our minds. It's interesting because in 23, he says about himself, I am the one who searches the minds and the hearts. Nothing escapes his attention. So why would Jesus be reminding the church? Why would he remind us this morning that he is the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire? I would say because the, it's possible the church lost an awareness that it is, it is Jesus, that he is the God who sees. It, he's the God who sees. And, it's, and that can happen to us, can it? We can lose an awareness of his thereness in our lives and forget that he sees everything that we got going on, not only externally, but right into our hearts and into our minds. And then what's the next thing Jesus said about himself? He has feet like fine brass. What does that mean? Like lead foot? What's that talking about there? You guys know in our study in the Old Testament, brass or bronze always represents judgment. And certainly Jesus warned this church that if they did not repent or those in the church that were involved in things they shouldn't be involved in, that it was sure that judgment would come. And notice it's pure brass, it's fine brass, it's purified. Everything that Jesus does is right on and pure, even in judgment. And so we have a picture of Jesus. Jesus lets this church know. We have a picture of Jesus, the Son of God, the glorious judge who always does what is right. 
And he sees sin, and if it's left undealt with, he's going to judge it. And so he says in verse 19, here's what pleases him. We've been learning what pleases and what displeases Jesus. Well, here's what pleases him in a church or in our lives. He says, I know, number one, your works. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians, was it like Ephesians 2.10, God has, God has created us for what? For good works, hasn't he? He's already prepared up for us the good works to walk in. Faith without works is what? Is dead. There are some good works that we're to be involved with as Christians to maintain good works. The Apostle Paul told Titus to communicate to the church. And so this church was busy about good works. What's the second thing? Jesus, what pleases him? What does it say there? This was a church that loved. Is love important for us as Christians? We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our neighbor once in a while when they're really good, when they're really cool. To love our neighbor how? As, as ourself. What about love for one another in the church? Are we to love one another, y'all? Are we to be loving one another? Didn't Jesus say something about that? What would be our mark that... All men would know that we're his disciples if we have what? Love for one another. This church, he commends them. Man, they got love flowing this way, right? Vertically, they got love flowing horizontally and into the community. They're loving people. What's the next thing Jesus commends them for? Their service. Is service important? Absolutely. Ephesians 4.12, if you're taking notes, reminds us that all believers are to be engaged in the work of the ministry. We are all to be involved in the Lord's service, serving him by serving others. What's the next thing Jesus commends them for? Their faith, their simple trust in the Lord, their trust in his word. They were trusting the Lord. Faith, what is, what is faith? Trust manifested by actions. Yes, we trust you, and we're going to demonstrate it by the way we live our lives, by the way we take steps of faith and walk in these things. And then it says, what else? Your patience. Upamone. Jesus commended them for their cheerful, hopeful endurance. They were bearing with others. They were bearing um, up under the difficult circumstances that they faced. They were hanging in there. They weren't thrown in the towel. They weren't a bunch of quitters. Jesus commends that, by the way. When you hang in there, when things are tough, and when, when tough things happen and tough people come at you, he commends that. And notice what he says right here. He says, as for your works... The last are more than the first. Jesus commends them for their abundance of good works. They had much good and loving works, and they were ramping up, weren't they? They were increasing. They had more at that point than they did when they first came to know the Lord personally. That's a pretty awesome commendation, isn't it? Does that sound like a good church? It's like, wow, remarkable. A lot of healthy stuff. And, and by the way, a reminder there too, as their works were ramping up, as their love was ramping up, their service was ramping up, we're reminded that the Christian life is not a static or a stagnant life. It is dynamic, isn't it? It's to be increasing these things in our lives. Jesus commends that. Exemplary, vibrant, exciting church. It sounds like, it sounds like a church that you, you probably want to be in. But then you read the next word, right? What's the next word say? Never the... You know what that means? 
forget everything you just read. I just said. Jesus gives his diagnosis, his prognosis. In spite of all that, I mean, to me, that's amazing. You can have all of that and be jacked up in your church. That's heavy, isn't it, gang? I mean, this letter just gets, ramps up in heaviness, too. It's like, oh, God, search my heart. Because I think I'm doing pretty good in the love department, the faith, the service. But what about the influences that I allow into my life? The people that I allow, the, the, the things that I listen to, to influence me. Because Jesus is going to talk about that in just a moment here. What we allow, who we allow, isn't that a bit the big buzzword these days? Influencers. Who you allow to be your influencers. And for me, I, listen, I love you guys. I love you. And I only, for some of you, I only get a chance once a week to spend time with you, to have an influence in, on your lives. And I pray and I share the word of God with all my heart with you guys. But I don't know what some of you, some of you don't show up maybe once a month. I don't know what other influences that you're taking in. And I care about that because I care about your soul. And in 20 years of ministry here, 20 years of pastoring this church, I've seen way too many casualties in ministry, people getting picked off by false teaching and bad influences in their lives. And I'm sharing this, again, because I care about you and I love you. You can, take it, you can say, you know what, an ex-druggy baseball player, whatever. But even more so, the Lord cares. Look what he says here with me. Because you allow... Because you allow this. He's saying to the church, he's saying to us this morning, because you allow, you per, you've permitted, you've given the green light to, you've put up with. Who did they allow? That woman, Jezebel. Was that her name? Think that, you guys think that was her name? We don't need to take a vote this morning, but I don't think it was. I haven't met many Jezebel. Anybody met a Jezebel before? That's not a very popular name, is it? You don't find baby books, like, top ten. Kind of like Judas. You don't find Judas in the top. But more likely, she was similar to the Old Testament villainess, villain, who was married, remember King Ahab, of the northern kingdom of Israel? I, they were all, in the northern kingdom, they were all wicked kings, by the way. He may have been the most wicked. And if you're taking notes this morning, um, this wicked gal Jezebel is mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 16 all the way to 21. She's involved in what goes on there. And then 2 Kings 9. Um, and what did she do? Why was she so... Why was she such a villainess? Is it a villain or villain? I don't know. Is it villainess? Is it the female? Uh, whatever. She was bad. You know what I'm saying? What did she do? She introduced, introduced God's people to the worship of the false god Baal. And Baal was the, the god or the false god of uh, fertility. And so... For you to have good crops, good jobs, good stuff happening in your life, they would worship this false god, Baal, and get involved with idolatry. Immorality was also attached to that worship. 
And so Jezebel in the Old Testament introduced God's people to the worship of Baal, leading them not only, listen, leading them not only into sexual immorality, but spiritual fornication as well. In fact, they left the worship of the true and living God and turned to idols, which ultimately led them into into what? Captivity. And didn't God warn his people? Did God warn his people? If you're not familiar with your Bibles, God warns his people over and over and over again. Don't get involved with these people, what they got going. Don't get involved in sexual immorality. Why? Because sin will jack you up. It will ruin you. It will ruin you and it will ruin others as well. That's why we're warned, aren't we? Does God care about us? Does he want what's best for us? And he told his people, if you get involved with them, you're going to be all jacked up. You're going to be messed up. And ultimately, you're going to be taken into captivity. And we're warned in the New Testament too, aren't we, about these things? The works of the flesh, right? Sexual immorality, idolatry. People are looking for love in all the wrong places. You're looking for peace. You're looking for joy. You're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong places. Why? Because what you're looking for is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. And it's only found in connection with Jesus Christ. And allowing his spirit to work in you and through you. And so all of a sudden, here's the church, and they're allowing this woman, Jezebel, who, notice, calls herself, she self-proclaimed what? A prophetess. She's a self-proclaimed messenger of God. She's saying, I speak for God. I speak on behalf of God. You, You need to listen to me. Well, look what it says. To do what? What did she do? She taught, isn't it interesting? Jesus says, to teach my servants, those people that are serving me, that their lives are connected with mine. And isn't that the beautiful miracle that happens? We, give, we open our hearts to Jesus. We come to know him personally. And our, we become one with him. He comes into our hearts, the closest possible place. He comes right into our hearts. We have the privilege of serving him, walking with him, following him, being involved in the things that he wants us to be involved in now in our lives. We find that life starts to work when we do it his way. And so here's Jezebel, and she's teaching. Jesus says, my servants, she's given a platform. This woman is given a platform. She's allowed to influence the congregation. And then it says, not only to teach and to seduce my servants, She's pulling them away. She's pulling the people away from serving Jesus Christ. She's pulling the congregation away from a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, I asked this question last week. How would you feel if someone was seducing your spouse? Would you be cool with that? Fighting, right? You're ready to throw down, aren't you? How about someone seducing your kids? Trying to get between you and your children. Take them in a different direction than that you know they need to go. How do you feel about that, mama bears out there? (laughs) Fighting words? Yeah. Amen. And so she's teaching them and seducing them to do what? To commit sexual immorality. 
She's saying, listen, it's okay to do whatever you want sexually. You can have sex outside the marriage bed. It's okay. Hey, it's okay for you to be involved in this union, in this guild. You can still do that and be a Christian. You can be involved in the idolatry and the immorality with that guild. Hey, if it's going to hurt your business, man, you got you to do what you got to do to survive, man. No, you don't. You need to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The Lord will take care of you. He bought you at a price. He's going to take care of you. We don't drop down and, and begin to do these things. She's saying it's okay to compromise if doing so is required to prosper in this world. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that before. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay to do what God says until it's difficult. That's a lie, gang. It's okay to compromise if you're still prospering. No, it's not. Eating things sacrificed to idols. She's proclaiming and promoting that being involved in idolatry is okay. And certainly we know it's not, don't we? We know it's not. In fact, the Apostle John, before he signed off in 1 John 5, he said, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why? Because what do idols do? And we're not talking about little statues. Do you hear that? Some people think, oh, well, I'm not going to bow down to a little statue. That's nuts. So archaic, man. That's so ancient times. An idol is anything that replaces God as number one in your life. It's what you live for. It's what you wake up to serve. It's what you give your time, your talents, your treasures to. And the Apostle John said that will keep you from, idols will keep you from fellowship. It will keep you from joy. It'll keep you from having the fullness of joy in your life and closeness and intimacy with Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4 that, that God's will for our lives is sanctification. That our lives would be set apart for him, not sexual immorality. That our lives would be given to the Lord. And it's, again, it's interesting to note that phrase, because you allow. What were the results of her teaching? The church allowed this. And what was the results of their teaching? her teaching? More immoral, more idolatrous, more materialistic. And it's a serious warning this morning. Number one, for those who are like Jezebel, leading others into sin. Did you guys catch that? Number one, it's a warning for those who are like Jezebel, leading others into sin. Jesus said, if we cause any little one that believes in him to stumble, it would be better for what? For a millstone to be wrapped around your neck and to be thrown into the sea than to cause any little one to stumble, gang. That's heavy, yeah. It's not just concrete galoshes. It's a concrete block around your neck. The prefer, that would be the preferable thing than to face the Lord. Number two, those who follow this type of teaching or allow this type of influence in their lives, be careful. There's a warning here. You allow this into your life. That, that, that teaching that appeals to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, it's of the world. And this world is heading in the wrong direction. This whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, Satan. It's demonic. Number three, those who allow this type of leaven to continue to permeate the local body of believers. Those who allow, listen, I look at this this morning and I'm challenged. I'm, I am challenged this morning 
because of the church's tolerance of this compromise. The congregation, and even more so, the weak leadership is addressed here, I think. You know what I'm saying? It's, we are too. If you see a brother or sister involved in these things, guess what? You who are spiritual, come alongside them and help them, help restore that person. Galatians 6. But more so, the leadership saying, let's give her the pulpit. Let's give her the opportunity to teach these things. Listen, you guys know your Bibles. Why was Jezebel so successful? I'm seeing blank stares. Why was Jezebel so successful? Let me tell you, weak husband. Weak husband. Weak husband. It's interesting, too. Some of the original Greek uh, scholars and uh, manuscripts and stuff say that, say that woman, Jezebel, translates to your wife, Jezebel. So it's possible that Jesus is also addressing the pastor of that church. The pastor said, here you go, hon. Have this platform. Have, have at it at sharing with the congregation. Weak husband, weak leadership, whatever. At Thyatira, they allowed this to happen. And listen, this morning, God needs good, sturdy shepherds. Those who have a fear of God greater than the fear of man or a woman. Those who have a reverence for the word of God. Those that believe that the Bible is the only rule for faith and practice. And Jesus calls the congregation his servants. God's, listen, God's people belong to him. They are his servants. They are his sheep. And the Bible tells us how to take care of God's precious sheep, to feed them, to give them the word of God, to pray. If you're a leader here this morning, listen, even us as husbands at home, we're to wash our wives with the water of the word, aren't we? We're not to be introducing Jezebelian, that's a word, influences into their lives. And so they allowed this gal to be an influencer how do you get to this place? How do you get to that place this morning? Like, how does a church like start off well, and then you get to? I mean, think about all the stuff they got going on, right? Didn't we just read that? All the cool stuff, all the great things, the things that please Jesus. How do you get to that place? You move away from the Word of God. You move away from discernment. Are you with me? You move away from being able to discern what's good and evil. And you allow it into your life. Why? Because it feels good. And there's sometimes it doesn't feel good studying the Bible, does it? It's like, oh man, I can't believe it. Lord, you knew. I needed to hear that. But his word cuts to heal, doesn't it? That we would confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Well, look what it says. Look what Jesus says in verse 21. And by the way, it's interesting to me, we, two weeks in a row we've had the same topics, haven't we? Were you guys here last week? 
sexual immorality and idolatry. And, and, and like, I'm not beating the drum on those things. I'm just saying, I think it's important to take note of this. Because maybe we were here last week and we heard that and said, oh, you know, whatever. And the Lord is calling you to repentance. And he, just like he did with her, he's giving you time. He's giving you time to repent. Look what it says. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. I think the King Jimmy Bible says I gave her space. I gave her space, grace and space. Jesus was patient with her. He gave her mercy, waiting for her to have a change of what? Change of mind, change of heart, change of direction, change of morals. But what does it say? Look what it says to me. She did not what? She refused. She refused to go the right direction, but continued on in sin. Can I just remind us this morning, it is dangerous to reject the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. Today, Listen, the Holy Spirit says, today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. Because it can happen, can it? We are to, to, we are to warn one another daily because of the what? The deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful, gang. It deceives us. We think we're okay. And we can open up our lives to a little bit of that influence. And what begins to happen? A little bit of leaven does what? Leavens the whole lump. It, get, it touches all of us. And God doesn't... Go, aren't, you, aren't you grateful that God gives us time to repent? Anybody grateful for that this morning? Do you give others time to repent? Do you give others time to repent this morning? I mean, we're grateful for His time He gives us, aren't we? Aren't y'all great, right? But with us, it's like, what do we give people? Like five minutes, five days, five minutes? What if the Lord was that way with us? For some of us, it's been five years he's given you time to repent. And she refused to repent, so what does he do? He has to turn up the volume. Look what it says. Like Paul said in Romans, don't despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and long-suffering. It's the goodness of his sexual immorality. She will find herself with some type of sickness that confines her to a bed, perhaps on her deathbed. You know what that means? Jesus will minimize her influence on the church. He'll take her out. And it says, those in the congregation who are involved, intertwined, with her, committing adultery with her, if they fail to repent, they're going to end up, what does it say? A great, great tribulation. Massive, heavy, life-threatening pressure on their lives. Um, and so there were those in the church who allowed her to be their influence. They connected with her, what she brought into their lives. And there was both sexual adultery going on and spiritual adultery going on. Did you notice that phrase? Adultery with her? Because... Jesus is the groom, and we are the church. We're the what? We're the bride. We are to be married to who? To Jesus. And when we worship any other thing than him, you know what it is? It's spiritual adultery. It's spiritual fornication. We're linking up. Jesus is in us, right? 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. I get connected with idols or the sexual immorality. I'm bringing him right in and attaching him with it. And that's what was happening. And Jesus said to them, if they fail to repent, this is what's going to happen. Isn't that what it says at the end there? Unless they repent of their deeds or behavior. How about verse 23? Is that pretty sobering? It's like, what does this even mean? I will kill her children with death. Please notice it's her children and not my servants. Isn't that, you guys notice that? Jesus said, this influence is on my, seducing, teaching my servants. And then he says, I'm going to kill her children, her offspring, those that are taking part in her teaching, that are linked up with her, and now they're making disciples also as well. And what does the Lord say? They're done. I will not allow that influence to be in my church at all. If you fail, if you allow it and fail to deal with it, I'm going to have to deal with it. And didn't Jesus deal with that in 1 Corinthians, with the Corinthian church? Did Jesus deal with that in the Corinthian church? Some were sick, some fell asleep or died. Because why? Because of their unlove for one another and what was going on in the church. That's pretty heavy. You can check it out yourself. 1 Corinthians 11. And so Jesus will not allow this to continue in the churches. And it says, because look what it says, end of verse 23. All the churches, every church will recognize that Jesus is the one who looks deep within us. He is the only, listen, he's the only one that can bring this kind of judgment because he knows all the details. He sees the big picture and he knows all the facts. He knows what, all that's going on. And uh, this certainly would probably be a fresh, there would be a fresh fear of God, wouldn't there? And a reverence for his word, for holy living. And Jesus promises to give to each person in, in accordance with their works. It says in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah, you guys know these verses. We normally just quote the first part. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why, you know, like those, what are they, Disney princesses, you got to follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. <laughs> Don't follow your heart, man. Follow Jesus. Our heart, what's God's assessment of our heart? It's deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? And, and then the next verse is, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. His judgment is never unfair. It's always right on. It's always righteous. This is a heavy, necessary wake-up call. And then notice verse 24, because it's almost like, could there... Could there be anybody living for the Lord in this church? There is, isn't there? I find it interesting they didn't just bail and like go to Smyrna or Philadelphia. They stayed there. Look what it says. Now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, those faithful, uncompromising brothers and sisters... As many as do not have this, what does your Bible say? Doctrine. Those who are refusing to allow this teaching into their lives, they're saying, no, I don't want that. I don't care if it's promoted here. I do not want to hear that. I'm not going to allow it to influence me. And notice what Jesus says about this type of teaching, this influence. 
who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say. Perhaps the false teaching was introduced as, listen, we have the deep things of God here. Pastor Mike, he just kind of, you know, he just teaches the word verse by verse, and, but we got the deep things over here. Come, come to our special Bible study. There's this gal that just came in. She has, she has a word for you. Oh, really? What do we do? Right over there. That sounds so good just for me. A word for me? And like sheep, right? That's what the Bible tells us we're like, correct? And sheep, they're just like us. One rebellious sheep, you know what one rebellious sheep will do with the flock? Draw others away with them. Male or female, don't matter. And so now all of a sudden, yeah, Calvary Chapel, all they study the Bible. That's all they do is study the Bible. We got the deep things in our study. Come on over. Prophet Jimmy Don is going to be in town. And Tammy Faye, not Tammy Faye. Uh, that's <laughs> ba- I, she's back. <laughs> and, you flo- and we float over there, and it's like we've just lost all discernment. Gone. But there's a group of people here saying, no, no. I am not going to allow her to be an influence on my life. That teaching, that is from the pit of hell. And James talked about that, didn't he? He talked about wisdom, man's wisdom. Did he say something about man's wisdom, y'all? But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, self-seeking, that's our problem, the self, because we're to deny the self, take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. The promotion of self, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Oh, you don't need to take up your cross. You don't need to deny yourself. You need. You deserve a break today. That's McDonald's, isn't it? It's not. You need to improve yourself. You need to improve your job. You know what? You should get involved with what they're doing at the office. God's cool with that. Listen, God's not cool with that. Just read this letter, this report card. He wants us to avoid that influence. And he says, these are my, that's his servants. Having to deal with that doctrine and that behavior in the church was enough of a burden for them. Enough of a burden to the godly remnant that are constant, constantly fighting against the flow of this world. And doesn't it wear you out? Constantly fighting as a parent? You guys know what I'm talking about? This is applicable for us as parents, too, this morning. Correct? Because our kids are getting bombarded with lies after lies after lies and junk and influences. And it's like you're fighting it, you're fighting it. It's like, oh, man. 
Can I encourage you to keep fighting the good fight? And don't stop. Don't throw in the towel. You persevere. You keep fighting the good fight. Protect, we ought to protect our kiddos. Protect our hearts, number one. But protect our home as well. Jesus said, hold fast what you have. A real relationship with him. True doctrine that was producing true works. Good fruit in their lives that honored God. Don't let go of that. Hold on, hold fast. Cling tightly to. Till I come. Do you know Jesus is coming? Jesus reminded this church he's coming. And by the way, 1 John 3, that should produce something in our lives. Is that your hope that Jesus is coming? That's about maybe half the room. What about the rest of y'all? Is that, your, is that the blessed hope, Jesus is coming for us? Every time we take communion, we, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When do we take communion around here, Pastor? Every Sunday evening, 4 o'clock. First John 3, if that's our hope, it has a purifying effect in our lives. We purif- it's a, it purifies our walk. If you knew Jesus was going to come tomorrow, I'm not a time setter, date setter, by the way. If, if you knew he was coming tomorrow, would there be some things you need to get right in your life? Maybe there's some phone calls you need to make. Maybe someone you need to ask forgiveness. Something you need to get rid of that's not bringing you closer to the Lord. If you knew he was coming. Jesus says, amen, thank you, little guy, wherever you're at, somewhere in there. I was, at the, I was walking with my son, Luke. Um, in his, I'm pushing him in his cruiser around uh, the park, Go Forth Park, and we're cruising, and in guessing sidewalk chalk, the kids use it, makes the... We got it out here, out in the park. You guys seen the cool artwork and stuff, pretty groovy, right? Someone wrote, prepare, Jesus is coming. I'm like, oh, that's right. Look at that, Lukey. Check it out. Jesus is coming for us. He who overcomes, look at verse 26. Those who overcome these deficiencies and keep doing what Jesus calls us to, them to, till we see him, till the finish line. Jesus says, I'm going to give you power over the nations. Oh, we're going to get power. Finally got some power. What is this even talking about? Jesus promises here, this is so beautiful. He promises authority over the nations. When is that going to happen? Is that going to happen right now? It's not going to happen until he comes and sets up his kingdom on this earth for the millennial reign of Christ. How long is that? Thousand? Is that when the millennials will reign? No, millennials, no. If you're saved, born again, yes. You'll be reigning with us too. I don't know what we're called. Kids of the 70s, I don't know. Who knows? That's amazing. Jesus says, you're going to reign with me. During that time, his committed followers. How do we know that? Look at the next verse, verse 27. Jesus quotes from Psalm 2, verses 8 through 9, a messianic reference to his future reign on earth and a little snapshot, a little taste of what it's going to be like. And by the way, we are going to get to the Old Testament prophets soon on Wednesday night, and we're going to get a bigger taste of what it's going to be like during that millennial reign. Because we're not in the millennial kingdom right now, are we? Is this the king, we in the kingdom age right now? No way, Jose. 
How do we know that? Look what it says. He shall rule them. Jesus will be ruling and reigning, literally shepherding his flock with what? With a rod of iron. You know what that means? And they're going to be dashed to pieces like potter's vessels. He's not going to tolerate any nonsense during his reign. No crime, no war, all peace. His kingdom will be marked by righteousness. The Father gives the kingdom to the Son, and the Son shares his kingdom with his committed followers, and we get to assist him. That's awesome. Isn't that awesome? I hear the power. I like the power. Listen, power is never disconnected from the person. Thank you. Because some people want the power. It's not apart from Jesus. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's admitting, Lord, I'm weak. I need you. I'll boast in my shortcomings. and I am jacked up, Lord. just makes me realize how much more I need you. And then it finishes out. What does it say? I will give him the morning star. What is that talking about? If you're taking notes, Revelation 22, verse 16, it's a reference to Jesus himself. Jesus is saying, guess what? You get me. That's the best part, I think. Because when you got Jesus, you don't need anything else. Now and forever. He's all we need. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Take heart to what's been communicated this morning. Really listen and apply not only what the Holy Spirit says to Thyatira, the church, but also the, all the churches that Jesus is speaking to this morning. Listen, Jezebel and her followers wouldn't hear him. They wouldn't hear the Holy Spirit, but we need to. We need to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us this morning and then to say, okay, Lord, search my heart, try me. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Because that's what the good shepherd does, doesn't he? He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning, the weight of it, um, the beauty. God, I just, I thank you so much for where you have us. I pray, Lord, as your word washes over each and every one of us, that we would truly have ears to hear and that we would make adjustments where necessary. Whatever's necessary this morning that we might do business with you. And this morning, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, maybe, maybe you have allowed influences into your life that you know are just detrimental.